Well, good morning, Bel Air. We've got a fantastic morning that we've planned for, we've prayed for, and for those of you who are newer to Bel Air, we're in the second week of a series entitled Thrive, No More Waiting at the Gate. And last week, if you were with us, we began to explore and understand and turn to Scripture to see what is the kingdom of God. And we found that the kingdom of God isn't just a place, it's not just a group of people, but it's the royal power of God. As Dallas Willard says, that whenever the king wants to get done, gets done, that's the kingdom. And so we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when we turn to Him and we allow Him to reign and rule in our life, we step into, we experience the kingdom of God. And today we're going to talk about how do we enter into this kingdom? Because when we do, we begin to experience a life that could be described as thriving, filled with peace and joy and significance and satisfaction. And we're going to tell you some stories and we're going to show you some lives of people who are part of this church and how they have experienced, how they have stepped into, how they've entered into the kingdom of God and what that has been like up to this point. So take a look at the screens and watch this. I typically can't express a time when I remember not having the presence of God and knowing who Jesus Christ was in my life, even as a little girl. Uh, I never had faith in my life growing up, um, so when I came to California, it was mostly just pursuing anything that's, anything that's in California, sex, drugs, whatever. And um, I ended up, kind of a low point for me was being at a telemarketing job, and one of the people there started kind of ministering to me. And, and she, was, she was nice, and I could see that there was something different about her, but I, I wasn't really buying the whole faith thing. But she did say, you know, is it okay if I pray for you? And I knew that my life wasn't going well, so I'm like, fine, sure. And she said, great, here at 7.30 tonight at this, and I'm like, wait a minute, I have to be there? And she said, yeah, it's a Bible study. So I, I was just thinking maybe I should just go see. At age 26, I found myself uh, very stressed and distressed. And I was alone in my apartment and I cried out to God and I said, God, where are you? I need you. And those must have been the magic words because there was a knock on my door immediately after I cried out to God. I went to the door and opened it and it wasn't the Lord, but it was a woman from this church. She was um, going around the building, knocking on doors and just inviting people to uh, come to a Bible study she was having. I've been a Christian my whole life and I don't remember not being a Christian, uh, but I think the moment that it really clicked was when we had the pastors from uh, the church in the Congo that we partner with over at our house for brunch and we, I got to like talk to them and hear stories. When I was 16 years old, I'd gone to church with my godparents. My parents were out of town, and I don't remember what the pastor preached on, but I do remember the song they sang at the very end of the service. And it was, if you confess the Lord, call him up. If you believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, call him up and tell him what you want. Can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. I started weeping. And before I knew it, I was walking down the aisle because I wanted to live that way forever. 
And I, I started attending and at first I thought, you know, all I need to do is go long enough for these people to screw up and prove that Christianity is wrong and then I can be done with it. I can get this sense of it out of my head. And they did screw up. And, um, but they were Christ-like in the way they handled it. They were humble, they were forgiving of each other, they were loving. And um, so I went for six months and I really listened and it was the first time I ever kind of put God and Jesus together. So I went and for the first time in my life I started hearing truth. I, I heard that God loved me when I had felt so unlovable and I heard that um, God sent Jesus to die for my sins and then one time a special man came and he talked about having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and kind of like the lights went on I thought oh I don't have a personal relationship with God and I went up to him afterwards I said well how do you get this personal relationship and he said well you have to invite Christ into your life I thought oh okay so I went home knelt by my bed invited Christ into my life and I was like I want to see what God's kingdom looks like in different countries and I want to see what this really looks like and that kind of sparked something for me meaning like I wanted to like experience it kind of for myself. I was considering and I was just driving home and um, a, a car pulled out in front of me and the, the street was completely deserted but this one is a truck pulled out in front of me and it was only in front of me for a couple of seconds and my headlights were on his license plate for just a second and it said T-R-S-T-H-I-M trust him and like I said it's not a burning bush or a voice from heaven but it was definitely confirmation that he wants that relationship with me and that it's not going to be bells and whistles but it's built on trust taking that step of faith I knew that all of the history that had been poured into me from Sunday School and Scriptures were just beginning to pour out of me like living water. As they say, the rest is history. My life has never been the same, and um, I will always be eternally grateful to that woman who came around knocking at my door at a time of great need. Hey, let's thank those family members of our church. The you know, in some ways, it takes a lot to get up and share in front of a group of people, and very clearly, they were sharing in many different ways of how they entered into the kingdom of God and how they each experienced that in different ways, and there was a satisfaction, there was a peace, there was a joy. Well, this morning, we're talking about, again, this idea that there is a kingdom of God. It's not just a place, it's not just a group of people, but it's the royal power, the reign, the rule of God. And whenever people choose to receive that, to experience that, they begin to experience the kingdom of God. And I've been saying in this sermon series, which now it's only in its second week, that we can't settle for a second-hand account of the kingdom. We have to experience that for ourselves. And so each of these stories, they, they weren't relying on another pastor. They weren't relying on a small group leader or a mentor or somebody else in their life to have an experience with God. They, they made a decision themselves. They chose to step into that reality. And we heard their story, just snippets of their firsthand experience of God. And if we had time for them to come up and share more of the story, I think you would be amazed at how they have experienced personally the truths of who God is in this life that God designed for them and desires for them. But again, that's, that, that's their story. That's not your story or my story. We can't rely on their firsthand account for our firsthand account. We can't settle for a secondhand existence. We have to make a choice. 
And I love the fact that Scripture says that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. So it's not my preaching, it's not even anything in this room that really causes us to turn to Him, but it's the Lord and by His Spirit. I was in the 901 service to, to start off the, the morning introducing one of my friends. He's the worship leader, Mark White, and he's in there in the 901. He'll be in the contemporary services this day. He was, is the worship pastor at Calvary Community Church, the church I came from. And I was in there with a, about 15 or so that were there right at uh, 901. I was able to introduce him, and we were talking about uh, this truth of entering into and experiencing the kingdom of God. And somebody came in. This is before the worship, before the message, before the reading of the Word, and said, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. How can I do that? And that was amazing because it reminds me, it's, it's nothing that we plan for. It's nothing that we can create. It's, not, it's nothing creative or crafty about my message or trying to get some good illustration to capture our hearts, but it's God's Spirit that draws people to God. And somebody woke up this morning with a burden on their heart, wanting to rededicate their life to Christ. And they show up here and they said, I want to do that. How do, how do I do that? Well, by the end of our time today, I imagine that there will be at least one more person who says, I want to make a decision too. And we've been praying for this morning as a staff and, and our pastoral team and our, our, our worship and arts team. Uh, it's been quite a week for me. In many ways, whenever I've had Sundays like this where we give people an opportunity to make a decision for Christ, to choose Jesus, to say yes to Him, perhaps the first time to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, I want you to be my Savior, whenever those Sundays occur or if I'm ever speaking at a camp, I'm telling you, the week leading up to it is pretty intense. And I have experienced back pain from the moment I woke up Monday morning to now. Worse than I've ever experienced. It's been very distracting. There's, there's been also uh, waking up in the middle of the night just feeling this, this heaviness. And I know that we don't talk about spiritual warfare very often here at, at Bel Air, but I have experienced in many ways, even in this week, just some I I intense just spiritual battle. Because when God's people are at work, when the kingdom of God is revealed, when people choose to rededicate their life to Christ, when people choose to enter into, to experience, to see, to explore the kingdom of God, God's enemy isn't very happy. And so I know that there is a battle going on in the background that we don't see, and perhaps for some of you this is new language for you, but Scripture says that there is not only the kingdom of God, but there is this other kingdom of which we are experiencing right here, of which the Lord of this, this earth, which is God's enemy, that's why we experience doubt and fear and death and destruction and people being bullied and, and, and layoffs and all these different things that don't make up life in the kingdom of God. We experience that. We long for God's kingdom. That's why we pray, God, would your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? So why don't we go to God's Word and explore how do we enter into the kingdom of God? And if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to pull them out. We're going to John chapter 10, verse 9. And you'll notice up on the screen that it says NIV is our translation. That's what I have in my hand. And you have the NRSV in your hand. 
But I want you to get in that habit of pulling out that Bible. And perhaps some of you brought it on your phone or a tablet, or you brought your hard copy Bible in the room. Let's go to John 10, verses 9 and 10. And now that you have that open, I want you to look away from that Bible because it's a, the wrong translation. I'm just getting you in the habit. I'm just, all I'm doing is building muscle memory. That's all I'm doing. I want you to get in that habit of pulling out your Bible. So let's look to the screens. This is God's Word, Jesus speaking in verse 10, 9, and 10. Let's read together out loud. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This, my friends, is God's Word. So all throughout Scripture, there is imagery of gates and doors used interchangeably. And we see it from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the significance of gates. In fact, very clearly we see that in Ezekiel, for example, whenever Ezekiel has visions of the Lord, he always pictures and sees and has this vision of God standing within the threshold of a door. Even Isaiah, when he has this vision of the Lord on the throne, it says that the thresholds shook. We see time and time again throughout all of Scripture that there is a huge significance to gates. Even in Psalm 118, and I love this language, it's a prayer, and it's one who is experiencing brokenness and, and, and need. In many ways, we think about this world that we live in, we see things on the news, we get news over the phone, we get doctor's diagnosis, we get uh, reports from our brokers. We experience a variety of things that cause us to, to want help, to desire help, to need help, to need salvation, to need something better than we have right now. And in many ways, this is a, a prayer that we can pray. And this is in Psalm 118, verse 19, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answer me. You have become my salvation. And time and time again, it says throughout all of Scripture that there is a kingdom of God, there is a city of God, and the only way into that city, into that kingdom is through a gate. Now, when you look at the ancient world, the gates that they had were, were very, very different than the gates we have today. I mean, you know, we have gates that perhaps where you live, maybe you drive into a gated community and you've got your key code or maybe you've got something in your car and it automatically opens for you. You kind of take that gate for granted. You pass easily through. Or maybe at your house you have a gate that leads through in your driveway or you have a gate in your front yard or maybe in the backyard you have a gate that goes to your pool. I imagine that all of you, whether you live in an apartment, a condo, a townhome, a sky rise, a, a, a single dwelling residence, you have a front door. And so there is this imagery that we're very familiar with of having to enter in and through something to experience refuge and rest and peace. We all know what it's like after a long day, after a long week, after a long month, or, or the craziness of life that when you finally step in through that door, or for some of you, let's say you've got really young kids and you step through that door and it gets crazier as you step through, but maybe it's at the end of the day you step through the door of your bedroom 
Or maybe for some of you, you've got to step through the door into your closet and just hide for a moment, you know. But we know those experiences where you step through a door, come through a gate, and you find rest, you find refuge. Well, in the ancient world, there were very important things that had to do with gates. For example, the gate to a city, only citizens of that city could pass through. Only those who were welcomed could pass through. Even at the temple, there was actually gates to the temple where God's people came to worship, and you had to be righteous to enter through that gate. So in many ways, there was kind of this standard you had to live up to in order to pass through that gate to experience the refuge of that city or that town or that kingdom. Additionally, whenever there was a law that was broken, Whenever bread was stolen, whenever there was murder, no matter how small, no matter how large, if a person was caught in the crime, they were then taken outside the gate, and justice was delivered. Whatever it was in their law that was due that crime, they would be taken outside of the gate, and justice or a punishment would be delivered. Additionally, right outside the gate, all the people who were poor who were afflicted, who were in need, who had physical ailments, they would beg outside of the gate. They were not let in, but they would beg outside of the gate looking for hope, looking for rest, looking for healing. And so gates were very, very significant. Business was often done at the gates. If an enemy wanted to take a city, if they could win the gate, If they could just get through the gate, then they had the city. The gate was like the last line of defense. It was the thing that if you could pass through, then you were on the inside. And Jesus comes and He says in Matthew 7, oh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Yes, but but narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way that leads to life. And I remember growing up as a kid, and I went to Lockneyada Presbyterian Church, and then as I got a little bit older in junior high and then in high school, I went to Catholic school. High school is an all-boys Catholic school. And I remember some of the messages that I constantly heard were, if you lived up to God's plan for your life, if you were obedient, if you received grace, if you did all these things, then hopefully at the end of your life, St. Peter will be there at the pearly gates and let you in. And so I thought, okay, Jesus says, you know, narrow is the gate and hard is the way, difficult is the way that leads to life. Man, okay, I've got a long, hard road ahead of me. I've got to live up to all these things. I've got to put into practice Jesus' teaching. And, and so in many ways, I thought, okay, I've got to live up to some standard, and hopefully at the end of my life, then God will let me in through His gate. And then I'll experience the kingdom of God, and then I'll experience eternal life, and then I'll experience the peace and the joy. But what if I don't make it? In fact, 
every world religion has that kind of imagery that you have to live a certain way, you have to strive to be a certain person, that you have to attain all these things. And then finally, at the end of your life, whether you are freed from this world or you experience nirvana or enlightenment or, 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 or total fulfillment, whatever it is, that it's this idea that you have to travel and live this long, hard life, this perfect life, this religious life, and then you can pass through the gate into God's presence, into that life thereafter into holiness, into perfection. And so in many ways, that, that, that discouraged me. Yes, I called myself a Christian because I went to church. But in many ways, as I went through life, I felt like I was kind of just waiting at the gate. And we've all been in the airport, I imagine, or some of us have been to a home that we're visiting, and they are not home, so we're waiting on the porch, or we're waiting in our car outside, or we're calling and we can't get a hold of them, we're waiting outside. We know what it's like to wait on the outside of a door or a gate to get through to something else. And now just a show of hands in this room, and for those of you in 901 or watching online, put your hands up. Have you ever waited longer than you wanted to at an airport terminal or even just in life? Anybody? DMV? Okay. I was, you know, I was like, okay, is this an illustration that people have experienced before? Okay, good. I'm, I'm encouraged now. We know what it's like to wait. Now, there's this moment in Jesus' ministry in Matthew 7 after he says, wide is the road and broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and narrow is the gate and narrow is the way and difficult is the way that leads to life. After that, he gets to this point in Matthew 7, and he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, and why don't we go there right now? Go to, if you have your NRSV, why don't you go there? Matthew 7, verse 21. And I have the NIV here, but why don't you begin to read that? And I'll simply say from the NIV, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, so we're talking about this morning, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so I remember as a kid reading passages like this that I would get even more terrified, even more discouraged, and I thought, wow, okay, even if I do all these things, even if I, you know, I mean, I've never prophesied in Jesus' name. I've never driven out demons. I've never performed miracles. But the people who do those things, they can't enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, what do I have to do? I mean, how much do I just have to be perfect? Remember, you have to be righteous to enter the gate to enter into God's presence. The afflicted, the broken, were always outside the gate. And it was at the gate that justice and punishment was always delivered. And yet we just read in the very beginning together in John 10 verse 9 where Jesus says something revolutionary. And this language was very different than the Pharisees, the ones who said that you had to live up to the law, that you had to fulfill the law, that you had to be complete in the law in order to enter into God's presence, Jesus comes and He says, yes, there is a gate, but He says, I am the gate. All who enter through Me will be saved. And I remember when I heard that for the first time, I didn't get it. 
For some reason in my mind, I still thought that I had to live this, this perfect life, that I had to follow this very difficult way. And then eventually, maybe, okay, if it's not St. Peter, then it's Jesus. Okay, it's okay, so it's Jesus at the end of my life. He's the one that, that welcomes me into the pearly gates of heaven, and then I'll get in. And for years, I, I saw that passage, and I still thought that the door, the gate into God's kingdom, into God's presence was something that I had to attain way off in the distance. But the truth is, that is as far from the truth as anything in this world. Jesus flips everything on its head, and He doesn't say, you have to go find the gate. You have to live up to this perfection like the Pharisees. He even says later in Matthew 13, He says, what do you Pharisees? You know what you do? You have the keys to the kingdom, and you shut it in people's faces. Not only do you not enter into the kingdom, you prevent other people from doing it as well. And yet I go back to this, these verses that say you have to do the will of the Father. I mean, how is that possible? How is that, how is that, how is that possible at all? And many of you have heard my story that as a sophomore in college, I had a roommate who out of love said to me, Drew, I care about you, but according to my understanding of Scripture, you are not a Christian. And because of that, you shouldn't try out for the worship team in Bel Air. At that time, I was in college. I was part of the college ministry here, and I wanted to be part of the worship team. And I said to my roommate, Ethan, who was part of this church about 14 years ago, and I said, Ethan, I want to be part of the worship team. And you've heard this story, if you've heard me share this, that he looked at me, and out of love, this is after knowing me for a year and a half, he says, Drew, I love you, but according to my understanding of Scripture, you're not a Christian. And because of that, you shouldn't lead worship. And I'm thinking, okay, man, I'm trying. Okay, so… Uh, you know, I'm trying to put this into practice, and I'm, I'm trying for the worship. What, what do I have to do to get in, you know? And he goes to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, which simply talk about that if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, then you will be saved. I thought I had to memorize a certain amount of Scripture. I thought I had to attend a, a certain amount of percentage of Sundays within a year. I thought, you know, I had to do all these things. He said, no, 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 it's got nothing to do with that. It's simply through faith. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, in that moment you are saved. In that moment you enter through the gate. And I, I didn't really get it. I'm, I'm slow, okay. I didn't get into UCLA. I went to USC, University of my second choice, so maybe that's the reason, right? And I, for two weeks, I'm wrestling with this, this, this oh, am I not a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Have I not entered? You know, in the same way that going into a garage doesn't make you a car, I, I began to realize that going into a church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. And when Jesus says, I am the gate, all who enter through me shall be saved, find rest and find pasture, for some reason it finally clicked. And I really believe that it was God's Spirit drawing me to Himself. And it was April 8th, 2000. I was on a beach down in San Diego. It was about 10.30 at night. And it was a retreat sponsored by this church, a college retreat down in San Diego. And I remember leaving the group and just walking down the beach just praying, God, am, am I not a Christian? Am I a Christian? 
And I can still see the, the lights of the Coronado Bay and the, the houses on the other side. I can still hear the, the birds flying low across the water and feeling the warmth of that. It, oddly, in April, it was so warm for some reason. And I remember praying for the first time, okay, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to follow you. And in that moment, Scripture says, right there in that moment, I entered through a gate, through the door that is Christ. Right then in that moment, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my sin, in the midst of not measuring up, I entered into the kingdom of God because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I entered into the gate, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus, is because of what Jesus accomplished. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 says that Jesus was taken outside of the gate and He suffered on our behalf. When Jesus went to the cross, He was outside the gate of the city. And the punishment and the justice that was due me and due you and due all of us because of our brokenness, because of our sin, Jesus went outside the gate and took that all upon Himself. He went outside the gate so that we may be brought in. And there are some of us in this room that have been around Jesus for a long time. We've attended church for a long time. We've served Him for a long time. We've volunteered for a long time. Maybe like me, we, we, we think that we're a Christian because we're kind of around other Christians and we walk into a church building. Well, of course I'm a Christian. What else would I be? I'm a Christian. But let me say to you, like my roommate said to me, you are not a Christian. You are not a follower of Christ until you put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Until He becomes the King of your life, you are still waiting outside the gate. And we all know what it's like to wait. And we know that waiting for something that we want is an awful thing. When we're waiting for something to come out, the new iPhone 6 or our friends to come visit or, or, or that plane to finally come into the terminal so we can go to the destination that we want to go, that's, that's an awful thing. But there's something actually worse than that. It's when we're waiting outside the gate and we have no idea that we're even waiting. We have no idea that there's actually something on the other side that Jesus has invited us into. And I would say that the majority of us, in some ways, are just waiting at the gate. And there's some in this room that are waiting at the gate on the outside because we have not yet put our faith and trust in Jesus as King. And I want to give you an opportunity today to, to say yes to Jesus, to choose Jesus, to make a decision for Him. And I also imagine there's, a, there's also a lot of other people that are just, they've passed through the gate, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus, but that's about it. They're waiting just on the inside of the gate. And that's what the rest of this sermon series is all about. 
that once we step through the gate that is Jesus through faith and trust in Him, now there's a whole kingdom to explore, to see, to invest in, to treasure. Again, there are some that have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus, have not entered through the gate, and yet there's a lot of us that are just kind of hanging out just on the inside of the gate, waiting for who knows what, for eternity to come, I guess. When Jesus says, I want you to follow me, as C.S. Lewis says, further up and further in. Jesus says, I am the gate. All who enter through me shall be saved. Do you realize that Right now, there are some in this room, in 901, here and online, who have yet to experience what life is like in the kingdom of God, with God as King, with Jesus being the Lord and Savior of their life. And I imagine that many of them have been around this place for a very long time, and perhaps they just haven't even had a chance to say yes to Jesus. I am so thankful that my roommate said to me, Drew, I love you. But just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. What are you going to do with Jesus? So what I want us to do is I want us to, to take about five minutes and to, to spend in prayer. And I, part of it is going to be me instructing us, and in a moment I'm going to have us pray out loud a prayer after me. Again, there's nothing magical about the words that I'm going to pray, but simply these are words to orient our hearts and our minds to choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. I know there's people in this room in the sanctuary, and there's people listening right now from 901, and there's people listening online. And I love the fact that even though I'm not physically present with all those people hearing my voice, Scripture says that the Lord is right here. And it's not me that draws people into the kingdom of God. It is God's Spirit. And there was somebody who showed up this morning before this message who says, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I've kind of gotten off, I've gotten off the path, and I want to remind myself and remind others that, that it's Jesus, only through faith and trust in Him can I be saved. So let me lead us in this time, and if you would, would you, would you close your eyes wherever you are in this place? God, I thank You for those in this room that are here today, perhaps some of them out of a routine, perhaps this is something that they've done for decades. And I imagine some, this is their first time or just began coming. And God, I pray that every single person that's hearing my voice would hear so clearly that the kingdom of God, which stretches out into eternity, can be experienced today through faith and trust in Jesus. And so, God, I pray that You would prepare our hearts for this moment. And I know that there's some who have yet to cross over that threshold of faith. There's some that have, but perhaps have kind of strayed away and forgotten. And so, God, I pray that, that all of us collectively would be able to pray this prayer out loud, that they would be able to, in many ways, in this moment, just reaffirm Jesus, perhaps for the thousandth time or perhaps the first time that You are our Lord and that You are our Savior. So again, for those who are in this room, everyone, if you feel able, would you pray this prayer after me? Jesus, I come to You. 
and I want to trust you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. You are the door. Thank you for inviting me in. And I need this reminder today that you are my everything. So I put my faith and trust in you. Lead me from here on out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.